Welcome back to another episode of NFT Catcher Podcast. We'd like to remind everybody that nothing on the show is meant as financial advice, and to please do your own research. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Now the subject is NFT. They're known as non-fungible tokens, or NFT. NFTs are exploding in popularity. This is a technology that will forever change the way people interact. So it is happening whether you understand it and like it or not. This phenomenon is moving the digital You have now joined Jenny from the blockchain and Michael Keane on the NFT Catcher Podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the NFT Catcher Podcast with me, Jenny from the Blockchain, and my co-host, Michael Keen. Before we get into our uh, special guest, by the way, I just want to quickly say shout out to everybody who showed up to our live Q&A episode that we recorded over Twitter Spaces um, last Sunday. Thank you all so much for joining, and hopefully those of you who listened to the replay really enjoyed that. We're looking forward to doing a couple more of those uh, Q&As in the future as well. Michael, why don't you introduce us guests? Our special guest, sure. We're here, we're here with an Emmy award-winning, famous in the NFT space, an amazing photographer, John Knopf. We're super happy to have you. I've been a fan for a long time, so... This is uh, super cool. We're, we're happy to have you join us. Yeah, I'm stoked. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad we can uh, finally make this work. Yeah, yeah. We tried for a little bit. And uh, I know you have an important meeting tomorrow night and all that. Tonight is uh, Tuesday night, March 8th, for anybody that's listening. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, Thanks for making yeah. that happen, too. I know we yeah. have to do early, so thank you. Of course, man. And, uh, you know, as, as I was looking at your website and doing research, uh, I, I kind of put two and two together, and I realized we actually – spent a bunch of time together in Aaron Haber's rooms on Clubhouse. Um, and I kind of forgot about that, but he always had you up top of the rooms. Isn't that right? That was you, right? John Knopf. Yeah. 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 Those yeah. were the best rooms, man. Those were hilarious. Yeah. He did. I remember he said like the funniest shit to me one time. He said, are you ever going to finally like graduate from doing, uh, you know, photography to possibly motion pictures? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's great. I miss those. Nice. Rooms. Yeah, for sure. The NFT Innovation Society. Aaron, Aaron used to hold some great rooms. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So I remember that. And I was like, yeah, because he's always saying, you know, John Knopf, the photographer, la da da, like. And then, and I could tell you, you know, I, I remember having respect for you then. And then, and then you kind of hooked up with Rug Radio and Farouk and you were getting in Twitter spaces and I started following you there, but I never put two and two together. Oh, so that's too uh, funny, man. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I love that. So how you doing? What's going on with you? Everything good? You, uh... Yeah, it's good. We're, I'm like in the process of moving. So it's been like pretty chaotic. It's, it's kind of nice to actually take like an hour break and just do this for a little bit. Yeah, cool. That's what's yeah, up. yeah. So if you hear anything in the background or anything, there's construction going on there. They're putting in a, a water softener because we live in the desert. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> Very nice. So yeah. uh, let, let's kick it off. Let's talk about how you kind of what, what got you into NFTs? When, like, how did you learn about NFTs and how did you know that it was something you wanted to do? Yeah. Um, so I, I got into crypto back in about 2011. Um, was mining for it and stuff like that and playing like online poker with Bitcoin mm. and 2011. Wait, what? Wait, wait, sorry. Was like, what was the price of Bitcoin in 2011? I think like a couple hundred bucks, like nothing. Oh my God. Yeah, no, um, I got in 2011. I was mining for it and, you know, I was running around at the time, South America doing a lot of photography and, um, I kind of like transitioned over into NFTs in like 2019, I think, because I got in um, into like virtual land um, up in like probably September of 2019. And then, mm. yeah, and I was just kind of like getting into it. Like there wasn't much there. There wasn't much available. This could have been, let me think, what year is this? 2020. So, you know, what? it might actually, it was in 2020 when I got into the virtual land. And um, I, I had discovered Clubhouse um, back in like January of, I think, 2021, maybe. And um, I was slumming the hallways with uh, my friends and, uh, you know, shout out to Troll Team 6 because we were basically trolling every room we could. This was back when like mm -hmm. we were doing like the flat earth rooms and like just just the Scientology rooms. And like we were we were the we were the assholes in the space. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
<laughs> and I, I was drunk one night and I think it was like January and I stumbled in, I saw an NFT photography room and I was like, I had heard about NFTs and I had seen some like, you know, um, I had already had some virtual land, but I didn't know like much about the art game of it. And I had, I think I'd heard like Gary V talking about it in like a YouTube video or something. I was like, well, this is interesting that they're like doing photography. So I stumbled into this room and a bunch of people in there, like old school, like, you know, there was like Ravi Vora and like Jeff Nicholas and uh, Kath and just a bunch of people were in there just like vibing and talking. And um, we, we were like talking on stage and they invited me up and we just started vibing. And um, I think it was Blau who came in and started buying a bunch of photography. And I was like, oh, this is dope. I'm like, there's some money in this. Like, so <laughs> my first experience was immediately Blau buying a bunch of photography and me thinking this is the greatest cash grab ever. I'm going to make bank and like bail. And so I like dive in deep and I realized like this isn't at all the cash grab that I thought it was going to be. This is straight up like a bunch of dope ass people creating a community to further the idea of the technology of the blockchain and what it can do for future generations and finance and art and science and all this shit. And I was like, this is this is exactly where I need to be. Like, these are all the people because I was like dive back a little bit before that. Um, when the pandemic hit, I dived into stock trading because my galleries had shut down and I had no choice but to kind of figure out like where to go and how to make money. And I knew the government wasn't going to support us. And I was like, well, with my galleries shutting down and I have literally no income and now I'm in debt because of these galleries, I got to figure something out. So I started like learning online stock trading, which it wasn't really made for me because as soon as you do the research, you found out that the hedge funds completely, you know, screwed everything up and like would, you know, uh, uh, like just go in there and like, you know, tamper with stuff and like manipulate, you know, numbers. And it just, it never worked. Like no matter how much research you did, someone would come in there, the news. So like this sucks. And I found like crypto again, and I would already kind of like crypto native. Now, mind you, I didn't have any Bitcoin left or anything. So it was kind of like just diving back in brand new. And so when I found it, I was like, this is something that like is really, you know, like game changing, I feel like, but I didn't know enough about NFTs. So I was starting to kind of like stack some, uh, actually it wasn't even ETH, it was Solana at the time and Axie. And um, I was doing this back like a year ago. And then I found NFTs in this, like when about a year ago at the same time. So I dive into NFTs going, all right, well, there's something to this that could really like, you know, change the game for me with art and everything like that. But again, it wasn't the cash grab I thought it was. It was all about like this crazy, just dope community and just cool ass people. So I started vibing with everybody, going into rooms, uh, hosting my own rooms, doing photography. And what I found was that like, there was a lot of like naysayers and just like a lot of people who were saying like photography would never like make it on the blockchain and that, you know, nothing would ever going to be like, no art was ever going to like sell that was photography. And people were like minting their work for like 0 0.1, 0 0.2 ETH. And there was like a point, I think, where we were like, dude, we're going to be like the one ETH club where like we mint our work you know, at one ETH or above. And this was like legit, like me, Kath, like Ravi, like this mm. is what we were talking about back then. And I uh, minted my first piece and I was like, I'm going to mint it for like five ETH. And like, just to backtrack, like it wasn't about like that I was like Emmy nominated or that I had, you know, a shitty following on Instagram or that I had galleries or anything like that. It was just a matter of like, I put my life and soul into my portfolio and like, you know, traveling the world and like literally blood, like, you know, sweat, tears on all of these images. These these are selling my memories. So I was like, I'm not just going to give one ones away for cheap. So I started at like five ETH and I, I got a lot of heat and like people were coming at me just going like, dude, you've overpriced your work. You've completely, you know, outpriced all the artists and collectors and like you're doing no justice to photography or the NFT space. Like I was getting major heat. And so um, I think at that moment uh, I raised my prices again just to kind of like prove a point and just be like, look, like nice. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to like be told by collectors or other artists, like you guys aren't going to dictate my prices. And I've been fighting that battle since, you know, I got into photography. So it was like the last thing I'm going to do is bring that same bullshit into the NFT space. So mm. I immediately raised my prices and continuously do as my shit doesn't sell because it just feels that's the way I kind of want to, that's the way I just want to be perceived as somebody who values their work. And also like, I wanted to make a brand that I just wanted to establish that like, I've worked really hard for what I've created and I'm not going to let it go for anything less than what I love. Uh, and you know, I don't want to have any regrets at the end of the day when I'm selling a piece. So it was just a matter of like going down, um, that road. And it wasn't easy because again, like there was a lot of heat, but I think that opened up like the whole idea of me being able to be more authentic, me 
really discovering like my voice and like who I really was like over the year of like talking on clubhouse and doing all these spaces. Like I really found my, like what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. And it, it took, it took a year of literally like jumping on these stages. And I remember like in the beginning, just like shaking, like, you know, like stuttering and like not being able to talk. And I, I still get like those nerves and stuff like that, but it was like, it really helped me like as talking through it to people and like answering questions, it really kind of helped me discover like what my value was and what I wanted to stand for in the space and how I wanted to navigate it. Sorry, that was kind of a, like a long-winded answer, but nah, that's how nah, I'm nah, it's really <laughs> interesting. Um, and we were actually going to talk about this a little later, but like, we don't have to talk about it right now, but it, it kind of, that goes back a little bit to, I was reading your back and forth today about friends with you. And I really like the things you were saying about, you know, don't tell an artist what to, what to charge for their art. You know, the answer is if you don't, you know, if you don't like it, don't buy it. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing is like from my early gallery days, you know, so when I got into photography 15 years ago, I was rejected by every gallery to where they said my work would never sell for over $500 because that's just photography. Like that's just the life of a photographer. And that was at the moment um, where I was like, well, like I'm not going to use any galleries to sell my work. Then if, if they don't appreciate what I put into this and they think that, you know, a painting is worth more than by all means, I'm going to create my own galleries. And that, that was why I lived out of my car, like making my own, you know, capital so I could open a gallery one day and sell my work for what I believed it was worth. Yeah. So, so like when I see what's happening, like with friends with you or like what's happening in the space, it's like, are we really going back to a year ago where we're going to start telling artists what to value their art in? And I know like it's a 10,000 piece drop and I know it has a roadmap, but I don't give a shit because it's a matter of fact that he's an artist. And it's like, so if I release 10,000 photos and I give a roadmap that says, you know, look, one day you guys are going to be able to like go into my metaverse full of my photos. You guys are going to be able to tell me what to price my art at all of a sudden because I did 10,000. Like, where do we draw the line on quantity? It's just the whole like argument on what's going on in the space. It's like, when did we lose? And guys, Alex, he said it so well today. Like, when did we lose our ability to have fun? Like, it used to be so much fun and now we're scrutinizing every single project. And a year ago, it was like, we, I thought we got over this shit where it was like, no one's going to tell artists what to do, but now we're like back at that again, it seems. That's an interesting thing that, that you kind of bring up there, which is like, you know, a lot of the times people want to be able, it's like, yeah, you want to feel like, first of all, I can do whatever I want. Like I can price my things at whatever I want, but then all of a sudden, you know, the market comes around, all these people coming in, giving their opinions, like, well, you shouldn't price it for this because of this and that. And, and, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, and then people are trying to protect other people and not to bring Telopas into another episode, but, <laughs> but like people were giving him mad shit for selling his one ones for high prices when it was like, well, wh what does that matter to you if you're not buying it? You know, like you, you right. either want it or you don't. And at the end of the conversation, like, I think I kind of summed it up was just like, look, why are we so like this whole room? Like, why is everyone so mad that the guy is trying to sell his work for 4.2 ETH? Like, is it the matter of that you guys just can't make any money on it? Is it the matter of that you won't be able to flip it at the end of the day? And if that's the case, then we are all just here for the money. And then the, then what are we doing here? Because then then I'm just wasting my time. If that's the case, like I thought we were here, we can make flips. There are projects that you can make money in, but there are also artists that want to define and dictate their own prices. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't think anybody has the right to say like that a PFP project is an art. Like if you're going to tell me that the cryptodes aren't art, I, I have to say, go fuck yourself. That's the only thing I can think of. Cause it's like, nobody in this space can tell somebody that their work is an art. I don't care if it's dick butts, it's art. Cause you created it. And if you want it to be art, it's art. That's just all there is to it. And people are like, well, it's an overused word. Maybe. But no one in the space has the ability to define what is art. None of us. And the thing is, is like when you look at the entire crypto space, like I, I'm not trying to bag on whales, but the thing is, is like we're idolizing and coveting like these incredible people who have saved a bunch of Ethereum. They're not art critics. Most of them aren't even art collectors. In fact, 99% of them aren't art collectors. They're crypto wealthy. And by all means... I, Thank you for everything you guys are doing for the space and moving NFTs forward and moving art forward. But in no way, like, should we 
be idolizing these people to where they are dictating what we do and how we maneuver and navigate. Like this goes back all the way to, um, you know, the early era of like art, the Medici days and all of this, like, you know, where they were dictating and they chose the artists and they were the ones that sponsored them and they were the ability to dictate all of their prices and how their value was chosen. And I think like moving forward, if we're trying to actually create an open, decentralized space and democratize it so that everybody can have an equal seat at the table, then we have no right to tell artists how to define their prices. I like that. Yeah, the the decentralized aspect of that. Yeah, like you're setting just because maybe the standard is 0.08 for a project and and whatever. And, and, you know, maybe if you don't have much of a presence and you price something super high, it's going to be really hard to sell, you know, and, and so it might benefit you better if you, you made it a lot more affordable. But, you know, if, if you feel like you want to have a luxury, you know, you're like going for that luxury high price stuff, then, you know, then, then that's kind of what you're choosing. 100%. And it's like, you look at the board apes, right? You minted them for 0.08 ETH. And I hate mm-hmm. to say it, but like, did anybody actually buy the apes for the art? I don't think so. Nobody bought the apes for the art. They bought the apes because they vibed with them because they were dope because they were just badass. And we were just like, look, these are dope PFPs. We're going to mob around on apes like and go into different rooms and make ape sounds and have fun. Like that's what we wanted to create was just like this whole vibe of just like having fun. It was never like the apes were never about the art, in my opinion. Like and I can guarantee like most of the people that got into the apes, it wasn't about the art. It was just they were dope and we vibed with it. And like I think there's something to say about that because it's like there are projects that you can buy and just be like look i vibe with this i'll probably flip it later so that i can buy my friend's art or so that i can look at someone like friends with you and go well dude this guy sells real art in the real world there's nothing goes under like fifty thousand dollars and he's selling these nfts i might want to get in on this because this is like some entry-level shit at four eth and that's why i would look at it like that it's not, and it's for ETH, but it's a Dutch auction. So if people don't buy it, you know, they expect the price to come down. 100%. Yeah. Gary V did a Dutch auction on his uh, drop, started at three, went down to half an ETH, you know? The Mutant Ape did it as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mutant Ape um, did well, but nobody scrutinized the Board Ape Yacht Club. And it, it's the same thing that you're hearing over and over, which is like, well, I really vibe with them. And I just wish I could, you know, have gotten into their project and they could have made it more affordable. And it's like, well, dude, I really vibe with Rolex, but I can't afford it. Right, and they're right, not going to make me right. an entry-level Rolex because I'm like, yo, guys, I'm really active in the community and I vibe with your your project and you're only making 10000 You think you guys could like lower the price because I, you know, I vibe with Rolex. They're going to be like, no, go fuck yourself. Yo, yeah. but an entry-level lo- entry Rolex, though. <laughs> Right. Like, can I get that entry level, you know, Hublot? Because I just really vibe with those watches and they're going to be like, what? Yeah, that's pretty funny. This whole conversation reminds me, I talk about a lot. I was a ticket broker as a profession for uh, about 17 years before getting into NFTs. And there were a lot of times all the brokers would be complaining, you know, Taylor Swift would do a couple tours. And then all of a sudden she's charging $300 for lowers. And I would always say, then just don't, we just don't have to buy it. Like, you know, they charge what they want to charge. They make the rules and yep. it's up to us to decide, you know, if we like it, if we want to buy it, if it's worth it. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like yeah. market doesn't dictate price. Like, I love that people think that, but that's not how supply and demand works. Supply and demand works is that the artist is going to dictate their own price and the demand is either going to be there or it's not. And then there is there right. going to be a market or there's not going to be a market. That's yep. just how it works. It's like the market can pretend it dictates the price all at once. But at the end of the day, the product is the one that dictates the art. It's the one that dictates everything, the price, everything. So it's like, don't come at an artist and tell them they can't price their art because you can't make any money off it. That's just ridiculous. Well, you also have to realize that there's also going to be backlash. Like that's normal too. And especially if like, you know, we want this place to be decentralized and people are going to voice their opinions. People are going to, you know, it's going to be, you know, you kind of can't control that people are going to have that mob mentality and, you know, it's always like that. It's always like that as well. And and I think, you know, you probably know as someone who's grown a following in the space, it's like, as you get bigger, you know, it's inevitable for you to start getting haters and to start getting, you know, people going against, you know, what you're saying and things like that. So it's kind of like, it makes sense. I quit Twitter for like, I quit Twitter for like a whole week because of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It got good for you. Hard, it's dude. good to take off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I said like GM one morning and I got canceled and I was like, all right, you know what? I think it's time <laughs> to take a break. <laughs> 
<laughs> like it's not a good morning. It's like Russia's falling apart, Ukraine's falling apart. It's like I just wanted to say GM oh, guy. Like, man. I'm just trying to show some love, like in the space. Like I get it. Life yeah. sucks, but we still gotta like, you know, head up high. We gotta keep moving forward. 100%. Yeah, no. I, I totally like I think like this space moving forward, the whole mob mentality, although like I understand like it is decentralized, it is, but everyone needs to remember like it's a two-way street. So when artists are starting to attack other artists because of their prices, I think they just do need to remember like it really sucked when that collector climbed up into your DMs and told you that your art that your art was overpriced and you should lower it. And I think we all need to remember how that felt before we start attacking other artists again. For sure. And most of the people talking trash are anonymous. They just want to they want to get it out there and 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 nudge somebody or whatever it is like totally you no know. they just want to yeah. create some shit you, you, we see yeah. it all the time but then you have yeah. like these shit influencers that have way yeah, you too do. many followers yep. yep they yep. just have way too many followers and have proved to be scam artists yet they still stick around yeah yeah we know who, i know who you're talking about I we all going, know who we're talking yeah, about <laughs> yeah yeah sorry going out and one of jennifer's favorites yep <laughs> he'll never, yeah he'll yeah. never stop <laughs> Let's talk about Rug Radio, um, which is your is your show on Twitter. You and Farouk, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. What, how did you come up with that? The concept of Rug Radio and, and deciding to do these live uh, NFT shows on Twitter. Yeah. So Farouk and I became friends um, over Clubhouse and we like we got into the apes uh, early and we became friends because of the apes and like we just realized like we both had like the same ambitions to kind of just build and like build community and build a space. And Brooke has like this just crazy energy. And like, the dude is just an entertainer and he can kill it. And like, I ha I don't have the energy that Froke has, but what I have to offer is like, I'm this co-host that like, we can kind of like go back and forth and we work, we vibe really well together. So like we were doing all these Twitter rooms together and like spaces and like I was his co-host, he was his host. And like, it was helping photography is like what I really like was noticing. It was like, dude, I'm able to gra grasp this audience now and like really promote photography because in the early days of Clubhouse, like photographers just weren't getting on big stages. It just wasn't talked about. Like I legit was throwing on John Legere avatars to get up on big stages just so I could pump photography and talk about like, because they wouldn't know, like, you know, back in the day, like it only says John, like it didn't say your last name. So you could put on his avatar and like, they'd throw me up on stage and be like photography and like, just pump it. And like, mm. so Moving forward, it was like working with Farouk, it was like, dude, this is an opportunity to really help artists. And like Farouk was all about it. And he was like, yo, like we could really build like, you know, a, a, a company together, like a decentralized media company. And this all started from one space that we had done for like a 16 hour marathon in spaces. And someone said, yo, I wish I could stay with you guys and like vibe all night. I think he DM Farouk, but he's like, I can't because I got to go to my shit minimum wage job tomorrow. And Farouk was like, yo that sucks. Like, how could we get people to like hang out with us and vibe and like get paid and, you know, not have to go to their job. And we were all vibing and talking on stage and everything. And um, this was something that actually my friend Mel and I had been talking about, like in the early days of Clubhouse about universal basic income and how it could be created through tokenization and decentralized DeFi. So like decentralized DeFi, so like an idiot, DeFi. So like, <laughs> <laughs> so like we were we were always talking about like how could this move this forward and how could we do this and when this you know this opportunity kind of like positioned itself i immediately thought of mel and i texted and i was like yo mel i need you to jump into this spaces right now like you gotta like start talking about tokenization and just like what we could do to create you know a whole dow and all this like she's just brilliant when it came to this stuff and i was like you gotta jump in so Mel, me and Farouk like jumped on a call. We started talking. We started figuring out like how this could work. And Mel kind of like laid out some of her IP and just some of her ideas that, she, you know, she had already come up with. And um, Farouk and I were like, yo, this is this is where we want to move forward, like with the decentralized media space. And so it wasn't like it started out as shows, but then it was like, well, what could we do to help other people so that they could host and make money? And how could we help other artists make money? And how could this turn into something that could literally be an ecosystem that could travel throughout eternity of the blockchain and just continue? Like, we wouldn't even need to do anything at some point. It'll just run itself. It's just like a self, like an autonomous like program that will literally just continue to create hosts and tokenization and make money for them. And 
So when we moved it forward and we were start, starting to talk to Mel and we started talking, like we were on this stage and we were like, you know, there's like, thank you X. And like all these people were just like, do you want to be the creative director? And like, you know, Keith Grossman, do you want to be on the board? And like, just all this fun shit. And it was just like, literally like kids in high school, just like having a blast and like making up these crazy ideas. And like, I know, like we all sat around back in the day and just would smoke weed and be like, yo, like, how do we get to the moon? And like, we would come up with these stupid ideas and like no one would ever actually follow through. But in web three, it was like, you have all these people available to fall through with these ideas. And like, we could create a team. And so we just literally started outsourcing and talking to everybody and just being like, look, if you want to be a part of this and like build with us, like you're going to be rewarded. And, you know, it, so we incentivized everyone to kind of like make it so that they could join us and like be a part of the whole, you know, decentralized media company. And that's when it transitioned into like the whole DAO concept and kind of like what we're doing now, which is, you know, basically, you know, creating the NFTs, which 70% goes into a DAO, which is going to open up so many opportunities to create community and create opportunities for artists. So it's like moving, you know, rug radio forward. It, it is like, you know, it is a web media show, but it's also like just so much more than that. Uh, that's great. So I'm actually, I have two Genesis uh, NFTs and I have two memberships. So I, uh, congratulations I on the, yeah, on the huge success, by the way, like having a point three floor with 20,000 items and pushing 10,000 ETH volume. Like that's, that's really impressive. It's good. It's good stuff. Thank you. Yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. So yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Just looking at the ideas of like NFTs, we just kind of like, we're like, look, if we're going to create a roadmap for this, like we consider ourselves an actual like yeah. a project, a company. So yeah. we have like a fiduciary responsibility to make this work. And that's why 70% goes into the DAO. Wow. That's, that's really awesome. So what, what, what do you want people to know about the project? What should they expect? Like, why should they want to get on board? I think like, you know, with, with rug radio, the whole idea is like, everybody has a seat at the table. Like it, it's opening the opportunity for artists to, to be able to host and create audiences that they never could before. Cause like, mm. there's a great example, which is like Richard, who's 15 years old, who's hosting photography spaces for, you know, teenage boys and girls who are like photographers and like artists who would have never had a voice if it wasn't for him opening this rug radio space every week and like being able to, you know, help them or, or Nyla, who's 13 years old, who has a show yep. and is opening it for the kids on the blockchain. And every week she has her show and these kids come on stage and they talk and she like interviews people. And like, I think what's so important about this is like, this is what's giving everybody a seat at the table so that everyone has an opportunity to be heard, which is, in my opinion, the most important thing, which is giving people who are unheard voices. And so when I see and like, look at the future of rug radio, I don't like look at it from like an investment standpoint of like, look, you guys are going to make a bunch of money. Like, it's just, I, that's all speculation. And I'm never going to, and I'm never going to like push something for speculative, you know, ideas like that. So what I see rug radio being is a decentralized media platform that's going to be able to give people an opportunity to be heard that never would be able to heard before. It's going to open up so many doorways, I feel like, for communities to be created and ideas to be created. And, you know, we're going to be doing in life, you know, in real life events, we're going to be doing a lot of like, you know, um, opportunities where you'll get to like, actually like hang out in like real spaces and like actually get to meet everybody and vibe. But I think like the most important thing that we're going to be doing to like move the space forward is like the learn to earn program. Whereas like you're learning and you actually like earn tokens by just like sitting in spaces and learning from Mel to talk about DAOs. We're bringing in, you know, syndicate DAO, Ledger, all these big, you know, Solana, like all these big, um, these companies that are, are educating the entire audience. Because I think like when you're handing over a DAO, which is basically like you're handing over your company to a bunch of DGENs, you want to educate yeah. the kid out of them as much as possible. And so we're just focusing on educating and moving the space forward. Because the one thing we noticed, at least that I noticed, was that there's just not enough education and people are so focused on like reducing um, like the like reducing how hard it is to be able to, you know, the barrier to entry to crypto. And like my focus is not reducing how hard it is. It's like we're watching some of the smartest people in the space get jacked. Like we're literally watching them, you know, lose their money through mental hacks. So it's like, if anything, it actually should be more complicated, the barrier to entry. So my focus is educating, 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 and continuing to teach people how to actually navigate this space correctly and not get totally wrecked. That's that is so great. And that just gave me an idea. I just wrote down. I'm like, we talk a lot about, you know, recapping the NFT space and, you know, highlighting um, 
you know, notable people in the space and, and whatnot. But yeah, educating, I, I definitely uh, feel like I want to help educate uh, newcomers in the space more because there is just so much information to know. And it's like, you literally don't know what you don't know. And it's like, sometimes you don't even know what to ask or how to even figure out, you know, what type of information you should be learning because, you know, it's totally, it's a totally new world uh, in Web3. I couldn't agree more. And like, you know, nine out of like 10 of my friends don't use cold storage. And that's scary because nine out of my 10 friends are hugely founders of projects and they should be using cold storage. And that scares the shit out of me. So it's like, these are people who are literally running the crypto space and they're not using cold storage and they're not protected. What does that tell us? It's just more education is so necessary and not simplifying the barrier to entry, but almost even making it more complicated. And I know everyone's like, well, we got to bring in the masses. And the only way to bring in the masses is to simplify it. So it's not 15 clicks, it's one click. And it's like, the last thing you guys want right now is to bring in the masses. Like you thought there was scams now? Shit, <laughs> there was no scams on CompuServe and AOL 20 years ago. Nowadays, try and jump on an IP and not get scammed. That's just the, that's how it works. So it's like the more people you bring in, the more scams are going to be available. So the more, like the most important thing we need to be is, is educating. So when the masses actually do come in, not everyone's going to fall for the Nigerian print scam. <laughs> okay. So, so, so quick question. What is the difference between a cold wallet versus a hot wallet? What is a hot wallet? Why did you say most people have it? Like just for, for people wondering and why is it good to have a cold wallet? Yeah, sure. So I think what's important about having cold storage is it's basically like it's two-factor authentication. So without you actually clicking on that device, no one's really going to, without your seed phrase, they can't take anything from you. Unless you sign some absurd contract or haven't really been watching what you're doing, it's a lot harder to get hacked. And I think like with a hot wallet, I'm not saying the hot wallets are easy hackable because legitimately it, you got to be pretty fucking smart to be able to hack a hot wallet, like, and actually go through the motions of being able to get someone's ETH out of there. But for the mental hacks, for just climbing, you know, getting someone into the discord and like just messing with their head, it happens so often. So with a hot wallet, it's a lot easier to take their ETH because it's just like one click on your computer and it's over. You could literally do a Zoom link and all of a sudden they're in your computer. There's so many ways with a hot wallet for them to you know, just take your money as opposed to with a cold storage, which is like an actual ledger or a treasure or a device that you actually have in your hand. You actually have to go through the physical clicking of this thing. Other Or the other option is they have your seed phrase. But if they don't have your seed phrase, then you actually have to click that device to be able to authorize any type of movement on your wallets. Right. Because... If you have a cold wallet, then your seed phrase is generated offline. With a hot wallet, your seed phrase is generated online. So, Correct. you know, <laughs> yep, if your device is compromised, then, um, you know, that that's not ideal. So it's just, yeah, it's just a lot safer, like to have an actual device in your hand. Like the whole like idea, I think of, of crypto is not really decentralization. It's, it's self-sovereignty. It's, it's, you know, financial independence. So when like you're looking at that, it's like, well, then you're guarding your money. Like everyone can literally go onto the blockchain and see that you have a million dollars sitting on your coffee table. Cause that's basically what you have when you can look in someone's wallet and be like, all right, this is how much someone has. That being said, it's like, you need to be able to protect your money and you need to have the education to understand how to protect your money from the government, from other people trying to steal it, from hackers. There are so many important things, but it's like, that's why I say the barrier to entry. It's like, it shouldn't be easier because it's like, this is self-sovereignty. You are creating financial independence for yourself. You need to really understand how and what you're doing and how to do it. Does that scare you at all? Like thinking about how, you know, you're connecting your wallet you know, to, to a site. And it's like, well, you could literally get scammed out of all of your, your NFTs, all of your. It me so much. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, like, sometimes I think about that. I'm just like, wait, how is this? How is this like better? Like us connecting our wallet to sites versus just setting up a password and, and like, you know, creating an account. I mean, it's easier because it's like you don't have to create a new password and everything for for sites. And if you're just connecting your wallet, but at the same time, it's like, well, you you know, you don't have money or assets connected to a username and password. 
but you have like money and assets connected to your wallet. Right. And like your money's FDIC insured when it's not crypto too. <laughs> yeah. And I think about that sometimes and I'm just like, is there has to be some type of, I don't know. I think things will evolve a bit in the future because that just seems a little bizarre. Like for like for that to be like the norm or maybe, yeah, maybe it is just more education. I'm not really sure what the answer is, but that does kind of seem crazy if you think about like if that were to be mainstream for every single person. No, totally. But it's like that's the idea of decentralization. It's like, you know, that you're able to move money or do whatever you want without anybody overseeing. It's like I bought my house. Right. And I wanted to wire them the money. I had to sit in the bank and not like this is some you know obligation or like poor me. But it's like I had to sit in the bank for three hours. I had to go through all this wiring process. I had to deal yeah. with like multiple representatives and they're just like this might get flagged for the amount and then we'll have to deal with that and it's like this non-stop bullshit and it's like dude if i wanted to send Farouk a million dollars right now it's one click and it's done and it's like yeah. that although it's scary it's like that's the benefits of decentralization which is like there's no one telling me what i can or can't do so it's like it is a bit scary that someone can steal it and it's like I mean, dude, it's the same thing of like what happened with my ape. The guy accidentally sent me 230 ETH. Those are the type of things that can just happen on accident. So it's like, Wait, yeah. what happened with your ETH or your 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 ape? I, I've never heard that story. Oh, you haven't heard this crazy story? No. Okay. So so <laughs> me and my girl were at the furniture store buying some furniture. And like, I get this email from this dude who says, hey, I accidentally sent you 230 ETH can you please send it back and you can keep 10%? And I'm like, what? what? I'm like, yo, wash trade. Like what? Like this <laughs> yeah, is some, super, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like super illegal shit going on here. So like, I just like, I didn't even know, like, I didn't believe it at first, but then I opened my ledger app and like, I look and I'm like, oh my God, there's a million dollars on my ledger right now. I'm like, and I didn't have that before. I'm like, what is going on? So I, I like, I'm like, all right, this email is legit. And so I immediately like, I text my uh, attorney and I'm like, yo, what do I do? And they're like super web too. And they're like, wait till Monday. And like, we'll figure this out. But like, <laughs> this is super sus. Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're just like, this is really bad. Like, we got to figure out like, you know, the next steps and all this shit. And like, I couldn't sleep. And I'm like, you know what, dude? Fuck it. I'm going to DM this guy. I found him on Twitter. I'm just going to DM him. Like, what's the worst case scenario? <laughs> like, it's going to, you know, like, they're going to, you know, put me in jail. Like I just figured like, there's no implications here. I'm just going to do it. So I messaged him like, yo dude, so you sent me 230 ETH and like, I'm not going to send it back until we figure out like why, because this doesn't make any sense, like how you could fuck this up this badly. And he kind of came up with like, he basically said like, dude, like I wanted to buy your ape. So I put a bid on it and I was pissed off that you weren't accepting my bid. So I decided to actually like get a hold of you and find you on Twitter. So I copied your ETH address and I had it saved in my clipboard. So when I wanted to cancel the bid and send it back to myself, I accidentally sent it to you. And I was like, oh my God, that's the what dumbest the shit ever. Yeah, I was like, dude, that's the dumbest <laughs> shit ever. You just sent me a million dollars. I'm like, well, like, luckily, Oopsies. dude. Yeah, I'm like, dude, luckily <laughs> it's me. And like, I'm going to give you your money back. Like, I'm not going to just fuck you. Like, but you sent me 230 ETH. Like, what do you want for the ape? And he's like, well, I want it for 230 ETH. And I'm like, well, that's an insult. I'm like, that's not going to happen. So like we negotiated back and forth and we ended up with like 347 ETH because it ended up being $1,420,000, which was like what number he wanted. Damn, let's go. Congrats on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like I sent him back, like he actually, like he put in the bid and I was like, holy shit. Like I like, I like looked at my girl, I'm like, should I do it? And she's like, it's your ape. And I was like, are you fucking crazy? We're it's 1.5 million. Right. Like, like, no, not the monkey like, picture. What ape was like, it? Was like, it like, it was a gold or something? What was, uh, what was the, uh, why was it so special? Everyone wanted this ape. Like you would go into the discord and people would just go crazy. Like he was just, he was a space ape with laser eyes with a pipe that had okay. a robot face and body. Like he was the shit. So yeah, 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 yeah. it was not easy to part with. So like when I said it to her, I'm just like, yo, should I do it? And she's like, it's your ape. And I'm like, but it's a fucking like so much money. I'm like, I'm selling this thing. Like we're done. Like I actually immediately, like I called Keith Grossman, um, the president of time magazine. I'm like, dude, what do I do? I'm like, I, I'm like tripping. He's like, John, you fucking sell that ape. He's like, what yeah. are you saying? He said, nobody ever got rich by selling too late. It's by selling too soon. Sell the ape. So I sold the ape. I was like, done, like gone. And then a week later, someone made actually another bid on one of my apes and sold that. Like I got rid of like all my apes that week immediately. And then Deepak came back. The guy who bought my, uh, my space ape, like a week later, 
It's like, yo, I want to buy the mutants for it too. So I ended up selling the mutants as well. Mm-hmm. It was like a whole thing. Yeah, it, it was pretty crazy. When was this? Yeah, that wasn't too long ago. I actually remember now. I remember when that happened. Maybe yeah, a month December. ago or whatever. Yeah, okay. A yeah. couple months ago. It was, yeah, yeah. it was at the end of yeah. December when he bought my ape. And then in January, he bought my two mutants for okay. think, uh, 250 ETH. Wow, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. That's... Thanks. It's a trip. Yeah, it, it was yeah. it was crazy. Because, like, I mean, I minted these apes with our wedding money. Like, I took... Wow. <laughs> me and my girl's yeah. wedding money and we minted apes with them instead amazing so now you you get a more epic wedding yeah we actually decided to actually only do a 50 dollars wedding and buy a house instead yeah i was gonna say so now you bought a house right <laughs> nice. yeah exactly we did the drive through oh. vegas wedding and we bought a house <laughs> wow that's awesome congratulations that is awesome <laughs> Did Thanks. you buy any other like <laughs> NFTs? Like, or were you like, you know what? I need to actually take profits. Like, no, I, I, um, so I, I, the ape, I immediately sold that ETH, um, at the end of the year, like all of that ETH. And then when I sold my pizza face ape, I flipped it into a punk. So now I actually have a crypto punk, which I always wanted in the hey. first place. Nice. It's a good, good time to snag a punk. They're, uh, they're priced well. Yeah. I got a purple haired punk, which I always wanted. Literally the purple punk that looks like me. And I was like, dude, (laughs) this is like the ultimate trade right here. Like I traded an eight, two apes for a house and a punk. Like that's perfect. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, I know you're, you're also into the cool cats. What other projects are you, uh, are you digging on? What are like your favorite kind of projects out there? I mean, we love the cats all day. Um, yeah, for sure. I will always love the cats, the robots. So do we. All three, all three of us are cool cats. Oh hell yeah, yeah. The cats yep. are the cats are my vibe. I've I've always loved the cats. Um, the robots, Pablo Stanley. I fucking love Pablo Stanley. Like one of the most genuine, sincere, beautiful human beings on this planet. Um, love his project. Um, what else is there? Oh, the Atom Bomb Squad. You can't go wrong with Bobby Hundreds. Yeah, like yep. he's just and, and like we've met in person. And like, I got to say, like, he is one of the most incredible people I've met. Just super nice, super genuine, had a bunch of dinners together with him. And he's just like, I love his project, everything that he's doing for this space. He's a good dude. So I would say like those are like my four like main projects that I'm in. And then obviously I'm biased, but Rug Radio all day. Rug Radio <laughs> for sure. For sure. Doesn't uh Pablo Stanley has a new project coming out. Have you seen that, Humankind? I have not, but I'm sure it's incredible. Yeah, yeah it's looking cool. It's like all black and white. It's called Humankind Art. It's art project by Pablo Stanley. I do, it has not dropped yet. Um, there's a Twitter for it. And also I've, I've been kind of keeping tabs on that. Check it out. I yeah. love that. And, you know, I forgot to mention with Rug Radio, you know, another thing that I think that we're doing that's so important is we're incubating projects and partnering with them. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's projects that not necessarily are like failing, but just, you know, aren't performing the way they want or like, you know, they need some advice or help or consulting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, we have the audience. We have the availability to, you know, present you to our audience and, you know, build up the DAO so that like the money actually goes towards the DAO and there's sales that go toward it. It's like, it's all transparent and it's open. It's like, and I feel like this is the way that we can help move the space forward and incubate all these projects that, you know, need assistance and that like they need the guidance and the team to be able to deliver. Yeah, there's a lot of projects that the, the teams are still working really hard. Uh, it's, it, and they're, you know, they've, they dropped, they sold out maybe many months ago. And there's just not a lot of eyes on them. Everybody's always looking for that new shiny thing. But I know a lot of teams that are working really, really hard still, you know, with relatively low floors. And they're just, they're cranking away. No, that's, it's that's really cool. That's good to hear. It. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really cool. That's why I think like, you know, these type of, uh, these type of things are just so important to be able to help these, you know, these type of uh, projects out. Yeah, no doubt. That's awesome. Um, uh, speaking of low floors, I, I have a question about <laughs> the state of the market right now. Do you think we're about to go into a bear market? Is this a bear trap? What's the situation? Like, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on on NFT market right now? Um, so, you know, it's so new and it's so volatile that nobody really knows where it's going. But if I were to, let's say like, if you've done your research and you believe in the long term of what NFTs are going to do or a project is going to do, then how I always see it is, you know, when others, you know, are greedy, you should be fearful. And when everyone's fearful, you should be greedy. It's a old Warren Buffett saying, and it's like, that really just kind of goes true to investing. It's like, what is the key to investing? just buy when there's blood in the water. So right now there's a lot of blood in the water. There's a lot of people scared. There's a lot of people worried. They're, you know, basically letting their bags go for really cheap. Um, so 
if I were someone who had, you know, long-term goals on a project like the Cool Cats, for example, a lot of FUD in the air because of the fact that uh, their game didn't get released on time. It's not going as well as they thought. They've even said they've taken on more than they should have. That mm. right there is a buying opportunity for someone like me because I look at that and go, well, I believe in Klon. I believe in the future of this project. I believe in their roadmap and what they've created. So if growing with a company means that you have to go through the ups and downs, then by all means, I'm going to buy when the down spirals are going. So right now, yep. I look at it like a great time to buy. Now, I don't know because there's no way to know the future of NFTs, but I think NFTs are the future. I believe the Ethereum blockchain is going to literally handle every transaction. And when I look at an NFT and the blockchain and how art is going to be used, distributed, traded, collectibles, we haven't even scratched the surface. So I think uh, Seed Phrase said it best. I'm not going to be selling one NFT until we actually discover what the fuck NFTs are and what they're going to do for the world. That's awesome. I agree with a lot of what you said there. I've actually been eyeing up the cool pets and talking to our Discord community about it a lot. It's yep. about to dip dip under one ETH. It's like a really good buying opportunity. I mean, those. I thought at the peak, I was buying those at 2.5 ETH. So it's yeah, like, I think I bought for sure. maybe 15 or 20 of them at 2.5 okay. ETH. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, yeah. I just look at that and I go, look, that's an easy two to three X flip. It's just going to take time. So as yep. they dip down, eventually, north, it's thing to be. yeah, it's just like, just be buying more of those things. It's it, how I looked at it is like how I looked at Axie when it was like 15 cents. It was like, it's a no brainer. It's like Axie is creating this incredible game that everybody's going to want to play. And so you just have to buy the FUD. Right. Right. I was going to say the cats are at 6.39 also. Yeah. That's, that's I a love great, that. yeah, it's like, that's a nice spot for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, You have to change your emotions. That's the thing. It's like, you yeah. have to be really, really excited when it's red, like be happy and be kind of sad when it's green, because it's like when they hit 15 ETH, I was kind of getting down. I was like, fuck dude. I was like, I really didn't want it to happen this fast. Like I was hoping, you know, cause it's like, that means that it's not like this organic, you know, pump. It's like, it's just all of a sudden. So I like right. to see slow growth and things like that. So it's like at six ETH, fuck, I hope they go down to five. <laughs> yeah really man that's a, that's yeah yeah we had uh we had extreme tom on uh about a month ago or so and he was he was great really oh, that's imp awesome. impressive and yeah yeah we're, we're we're big fans i was just gonna say um i was gonna ask really quick okay what about what if you're you bought some nfts okay and now all of a sudden the you know the value of it it's like you're, you're cool pads right you bought them for 2.5 ETH. you know all of a sudden they're down below one ETH. And it's like, and maybe you don't even have that much capital and you're like, you can't afford to buy the dip or whatever. And say, like, oh, buy the dip. It's like, okay, well, I have no money. So what am I supposed to do? You know, right. so what advice would you give, or maybe not advice, but maybe, uh, you know, what are some thoughts on if people are holding on to NFTs that they had paid much higher for, you know, previously. And now it's like the floor price, if they were to sell it, it's a lot lower than they actually paid. What would be you your know, advice to people? I'm probably someone, probably the wrong person to ask on this one because I'm more of a risk taker. So I would say like, if you don't have the liquidity to buy the dip, the, the other option is just hold and not never take a loss. You don't take a loss until you, until you sell. So it's like, like the super yetis for me. It's like, <laughs> I'm not going to take a loss on those fucking things. There's just no way, you know, it's like, there's just no way I'm going to wait and I'll just be patient. And it's just, I think, look, almost everything that I've put money into, whether it be a stock or crypto or anything, I've found that if I sell too soon, I, it's like I always miss out. Like it always pumps. I always miss the pump. So it's like, instead, I just change those emotions around and just go, look, I just rather wait and not take a loss. And eventually it will come back. It's like I, I invested in this really shitty stock, this OTC stock like a year ago called Pegas. And it was like, you know, it's oil company. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, oil's pumping right now, and I got to get out of that shit. And now I don't even have to worry about the loss. It's like it's just you just have to be patient and just wait for the right moment. So it's like I would say that anybody who's lacking liquidity right now, I wouldn't sell for a loss unless you really have like lost faith in the project and just think it's completely going down the drain. Which there are a lot of those projects right now in this space that there's just no way they're going to ever probably get back to where they were. Like I bought a crypto to twenty one ETH. I don't know if I'll ever be able to get out Jeebus. of that crypto. Yeah. yeah. I know, right? Bless your soul. Bless your I know. soul. I, I'm stuck with an $80,000 crypto, but I love him. And I bought it for yeah. the art. So I'm not going to sit there and bitch about it. Like, I love him. He's beautiful. He's literally, he goes to Bogwarts. He's a wizard. 
He, he's a magician. But, but <laughs> the thing is, like, I'm, I'm going to hold that thing and I'm not going to take a loss on it. And it just is what it is. And that's just kind of like how I have to look at it. And again, I'm an extremist. So, like, I don't know if anyone should be taking my advice when it comes to investing. But it's like, if you lack liquidity, then just sit there and wait and eventually it'll come back. You know what? I am actually the same way. And I know I always see like people being like, oh, just you got to learn when to cut your losses. And I'm like, no, I refuse to sell anything at a loss. I shall hold everything forever. And like, you know, even if even if, you know, it's been it's been a year and it's still at the same price and it's not, you know, I'm not up like I will still hold it like I feel you on that. Um, I don't think it's super popular advice, but I do think that it's honestly solid advice because it's like you know, also learning patience. Like I think a lot of people have really short attention spans and, and not many people have enough like mental discipline to be able to actually like hold on to something and, and, you know, not let go of it. If, you know, if, if it's not even like the right time, it's just like, yeah, people panic. Right. Um, and so I think people should practice holding things, you know, why not? Yeah, I did that early on. There was there was so I did uh, I was doing gutter cat gang early on and I minted five and I kind of sold them on the way up. I was early on. I was famous for selling everything. I've sold way too much stuff way too early. (laughs) But like and 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 I saw that they were doing well, like and I knew it was going to be good. So then I started trying to buy like some rarish ones, like some some great skins. And I was buying them at like two point five and they started dipping down a little bit. And I got scared and I was like, all right, I'm out. I'm not going to like. You know, and obviously I should have held because now it's whatever it is, a five and a half. But you learned. Yeah. You learned. Oh, yeah, for sure. I learned you know? a lot, you know, and, and I needed at that point, like early on, sometimes people you need to kind of be in and out and build up. Yep. Um, you got to pay for, for sure. Yeah. My friend yeah. Lindsay Burns, a photographer, she said it best. If you had yeah, love done Lindsay, it, love Lindsay. Yeah, yeah, I love Lindsay. But she's she always says she's like, look, if you hadn't done it, it wouldn't be where it is. So you had to do this for it to be that that position. Right. Right. For sure. And I love that. I, I kind of stick by yeah. that. Cause it was like, I sold some apes early on for a couple of ETH and like, yeah, but it's like Lindsay said, it's like, if you hadn't done that, they might not be where they are right now. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So uh, let's switch gears real quick. I know we don't have a ton of time left, but this is, this has actually been really great, John. It's awesome talking to you. Um, yeah, you mentioned this. we were talking about your photography earlier and you talked about how you've traveled. I was looking at a lot of your photos um, and you were talking about how you traveled a lot to South America. I actually spent many, many months over the years, probably six, eight months traveling South America. I was in, I was in Venezuela in 1999, literally the day Hugo Chavez was elected, believe oh, it or not. Shit. I was like, wow. So I've yeah, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, Brazil, Uruguay, Argentina, like all over. What, uh, what kind of travels have you done down there? What, what are your like favorite places? So my main spot was Grenada and Trinidad and those areas. And we actually yep, traveled okay. over to Venezuela. Yeah. So if, when I say South America, it was mostly the Caribbean, but we traveled a bit to like Venezuela and like the Northern area of that, but it was mostly like the Caribbean islands. Okay. Just going, yeah. Yeah. Going, yeah. Going from there, from like one Island to the other. Like I just spent like months at a time, like, you know, just chilling in these like islands and just like learning about the culture and like Beautiful. just vibing with the people. Like that's kind of like how I got a lot of my photography is just, you know, meeting people and like learning and like, I, my universal language is weed. I have used weed in every country, in like every like you know uh, Native American tribe, like any land that mm. I've ever wanted to get onto. Weed has always been the universal language of how yeah. I can like how I can talk to people. So like in Grenada, like I, that's just kind of like how I got along with everybody, and I was able to just kind of like navigate through the whole island and just kind of like meet all the people and party with them. And that's just how I've been able to take photos. It's like I know this like sounds corny, but it's like. I have to capture it with my heart before I can capture it with my camera. Mm, I like that. No, that's, that's great. I actually, I'm like, a, I'm not a, any kind of professional photographer. I don't call myself an artist, but I have like 15,000 photos. I've traveled, you know, I've been to almost 50 countries. That's, that's my absolute passion. And I love taking photos. I have, I have a lot of that I really like, but yeah, that's, that's, that's cool to hear. That, that's yeah. cool to hear how you, how you do that. I forget that I'm a photographer sometimes, but that's like, yeah. that's where I started. It's like, I started by, yeah. I wanted to travel the world and see, you know, all the beautiful places. And I was like, well, I work at a car dealership. How can I do that? And mm. I quit my job and decided to become a photographer full-time. That's amazing. Good for you. Wow. Thanks. Love to see yeah. It. yeah it's, it's been a wild ride. Took life, took life by the horns. Yeah, yeah. 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 Totally. I mean, it was, you know, living out of your car for a while, doing yep. the homeless life, but it was like, 
I was doing what I loved. So I was always successful because I was enjoying what I was doing. Yep. Yeah. I was always jealous of the people when I was traveling around that were living in hostels and just never knew when they were going home, they were on the road for six, eight, yep. 10 months. Like it was the, the shit. Best. It's the just, best. It I just never could care. Yeah. I just yeah, never cared about the, anything. It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> It was beautiful. Yeah. And honestly, traveling gives you the best perspective because you meet people from all over the world and you realize how similar we all are. Like it's, it's hard to get that perspective staying at home all the time. No, hundred percent. You can only get those yep. experiences from seeing the world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What else do we, uh, what else do we have on our list here? Do we have in, anything else? In real life events, speaking yes, of seeing yes. the world, what are, what are some events uh, coming up that you're going to, maybe you're attending, maybe you're speaking at, let us know. Um, yeah, I'm speaking at uh, NFT NYC this year for uh, photography. So it'll be a panel uh, usually of like, you know, photographers. And we just talk about like how photography has moved through the space and how to create a community of photographers. So I'm, I'm looking really f- like forward to that because I get to hang out with Mel in person who lives in Australia. So it's like, mm. I get to, yeah. So whenever we get to vibe and hang out, I'm stoked. Cool. I was in that little room last year at, at NFT NYC when you guys did Rug Radio Live with oh my God, uh, Farouk and Keith Grossman, <laughs> Sarah Script. G- Jennifer and I are both friends with Sarah. Um, that Sarah. was that was a fun little, yeah, she's great. That was a fun little uh, thing you guys had going on there. It was um, so good. Like right after that Rug Radio session, I wanted to get out of there because I had just like, doing those like these type of like you know clubhouse rooms and stuff like that you take a lot of energy but there was a guy in the audience who was just you know basically like said that our radio had like saved his life and if it wasn't for us like yeah he would have taken his life and like it was it took like just a lot of like out of us so like i immediately ran out of that room and like just ran to the street and just like needed to breathe and i run into neil strauss the new york times best-selling author and he's like john and i'm like holy shit neil he's like let's go have lunch and sarah script walks out and i'm like sarah we're going to have lunch. And she's like, who are we going to have lunch with? And I'm like, this is Neil Strauss, New York's bestseller, like New York Times bestseller. She's like, holy shit. She's like, let's go have lunch. And so we just had like yeah. the best lunch ever. It was great. It's amazing. It's such a small world in NFTs. He's the guy doing the book for Jenkins, the valet, right? Uh, I don't know if he's doing Jenkins. I know he did like, you know, he did that project with I'm- Lit where he released the very first book on the blockchain um about like disasters and stuff like that which was amazing but i haven't heard anything about that one i'm pretty sure he is i'm sh- I think he's the one yep yeah they're pleased to announce uh that neil Strauss is writing uh the debut novel for for jenkins of la i love that yeah yeah cool i love that that's a project i really i think that project is is gonna really stand the test of time and do some big things i agree 100 percent yep a lot of things are just, uh, you know, too new and too, too unique. And it just has to take time for it to kind of just for people to wrap their heads around it. Yeah. And and the projects we see now aren't necessarily what they're going to look like in two years, three years. They're going to they're going to change. They're going to evolve like, you know, Amazon 100%. was was selling books and all of a sudden now they're they sell everything and they, you know, Amazon Web Services and all that stuff. So like like these companies are going to be. That that's why we always say, you know, look at the team because it's not yep. just exactly, it's not just the original roadmap or just the original tokens. There's these whole things and who's building the project and for sure. That's what no, the team is so right important. Now. I couldn't agree yeah. more. I think we might have uh, had a rug there. Uh... I was just saying, like you know, people forget like Ethereum wasn't decentralized at first. Like things take time to grow, and that's just a matter of like the growth over the years. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Any last minute questions, Michael? Anything you can think of? Because I I just wanted to say be, before we even before we wrap this up as well, um, that it seems like you kind of just have so many opportunities coming your way. Like when you shared that story of like running out of, of the rug, the live rug radio, and then all of a sudden you run into Neil Strauss and it's like, and I feel like the reoccurring theme that I've kind of noticed throughout this interview was you just kind of taking advantage of opportunities and kind of following your heart and doing what you love. And then, you know, more good opportunities come, come your way. Um, and I guess I just wanted to recognize that and, <laughs> Uh, mentioned that in the pod. Thank you. Yeah. It, it's all about building. I mean, that's really kind of what it comes down to. It's like, if we're in a bear market, then it's like, cool, great time to start building again. So I think at the mm-hmm. end of the day, like just seize every opportunity you can. Right. Oh, man. 
John, this was an absolute pleasure hanging out and talking with you and hearing your perspective on everything. Uh, you're always honest and you're opinionated. And I, I really, I really like it and appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, thank you, man. I really appreciate you guys having me on this. I, I've been wanting to do it. So I'm like, I'm stoked that we're able to do this finally. And yeah, yeah. I just appreciate your guys' time. Like, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And and hopefully everyone listening to this really enjoyed this episode. Uh, that's all for today. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. GM, GM. All right. Thank you, John. <laughs> See catch you later, GM. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the NFT Catcher Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and learned something new about the exciting world of NFTs. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you really love what you're hearing, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite platform. If you want to stay up to date with the latest news and insights from the NFT space, be sure to follow us on all the socials at NFT Catcher Pod. You can follow Jennifer at Jennifer underscore pseudo and Michael at NF Ticket. I'm your producer, Andy, and I'm at AJC254. Our theme songs by It's Just Los. We always appreciate your feedback and support, which helps us reach more people and bring you informative and engaging content about NFTs. We look forward to bringing you more great NFT content in future episodes. Thanks for listening. Peace. 